get started here. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I'm your host, E. Marie, and this is Soy Chingona. I'm very excited to be sitting here today with Lorena Gonzalez. Thank you so much for letting me, like I said, into your space today. Um, what I wanted to start off, Lorena, is if you can tell our listeners who you are today um, as a woman, um, as your position, who is Lorena? So um, <clears throat> my name is Lorena, but it's it's always difficult because uh, in English I go by Lorena. Right. <laughs> so uh my, my name is actually Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher. Um, I am a mom. I have um, a blended family with four kids. Uh, their ages are, I have boys who are 7, 10, and 15, and I have a daughter who is 22. Um, yeah, I had her when I was a little young. And my husband is Nathan Fletcher. Um, so I'm a wife. Um, I am an assemblywoman. I represent the southernmost portion of San Diego in the California State Assembly. Um, I'm an attorney by trade, I guess, by education. Uh, and I um, am, you know, many things, a, a sister, a daughter, a, um, a member of my community um, in, in South San Diego. I think a, a, I'm an advocate mostly in my job. I, I think um, as much as people like to think elected officials are politicians, I think of it more as advocacy. Um, and I'm I'm a free spirit. Yeah, definitely. Um, I thank you so much for sharing who that is, um, who you are and who you represent today. Um, tell me a little bit about um, where you grew up and where you're from. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in North San Diego County. My uh, father came to this country from uh, Michoacan, Mexico. He came, um, his, his father was a bracero, my grandfather was a bracero, and had returned to Michoacan um, with a lot of stories. And so most of the boys in the family, uh, through different ways, got across the border, came across the border with different types of visas or papers or not papers. Um, and I, he started in this, uh, started working in strawberry fields in North San Diego County in Oceanside. Um, he quickly went from being a farm worker to working in the packing house. Um, at that time, and as is still today in too, too many parts in, in the United States, uh, the uh, farm workers don't have basic protections under the law. Um, if you move on to the packing house, onto, you know, um, you actually are protected by normal workplace rules. So he figured that out pretty quickly. Um, he met and married my mother. Um, she uh, was a nurse and um, she had gone to East LA Community College to become a nurse. And they had three kids uh, and got divorced very quickly thereafter. I'm the youngest of three. Um, and so I talk about my father and my father still lives in Oceanside. Um, and. Uh, you know, he played different roles in my life throughout my life, but it was my mom who raised me. Um, and we spent the first half of our life in Oceanside, first half of our childhood, and then um, moved to Vista. Uh, but she was a single mom raising three kids. And as I always remind people with a gaggle of other people coming up and um, living with us, cousins and um, grandparents and, <laughs> a full you house, know, a full, always. always a full house, uh, people in and out. Um and uh, just worked her butt off to give us opportunity, really. Um, she, she worked sometimes multiple jobs um, as a single mom, 
she worked overtime all the time. Um, it was often on call. She was emergency room nurse. And um, she did that so that she could buy a house and, and um, have a house for us. We had health insurance, which was huge and not everybody in our neighborhood had health insurance. Right. Um, we had dental insurance, which was huge, although insufficient, um, and <laughs> as dental insurance often is. And we had an expectation that we would all go to college, which um, that we'd be first in our family to go to college. And um, and so that's, that's uh, how we grew in up. In a nutshell. Mm-hmm. So with your education, you said you were the youngest of three. So did your other two siblings wind up going to college? My oldest brother um, was... Uh, he's his own person. So he started in community college. He eventually, uh, after I don't know how many years in community college, transferred to San Jose State and um, got a degree and also a master's degree in math and um, a teaching degree. So he uh, he's a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wasn't in college when I applied yet. He was still in community college and working. Um, my middle brother, who's just a year and a half older than me, he uh, applied and went to um, UC Santa Cruz a year before I applied for college. So he had been in college for a year. Um, he ended up going to UC Santa Cruz and then um, going to William Clark Law School and um, Lewis and Clark Law School in Oregon. He's an environmental mm-hmm. attorney now. Um, and then I, uh, being knowing only that I needed to go to college, um, got drawn into the possibility and, and the beauty um, when a recruiter came on campus of attending Stanford University. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked like it looked like a summer camp to me, or what I envisioned summer <laughs> camp looking like. And so I came home one day and told my mom I was going to go to Stanford, and uh, she was, you know, like, great, good luck with that. I had good grades, but I think she just thought, what are you thinking? Um, a, a lot of uh, belief, I think, and sometimes being the only girl, a belief that if I if I did what my brother did and went to a, a UC, that would be um, completely sufficient. I mean, beyond what, what she could ever right. dream for me. Um, so I applied to Stanford, and um, to this day I'm grateful. They had a program at Stanford, they still have it, where they set aside a certain amount of spots or a percentage of their, their admittees um, for people who are the first generation in their family to go to college. Okay. And so... Uh, they don't tell you you're admitted that way, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's how it goes. <laughs> I get to Stanford, and you know, I always laugh. Like my letters of recommendation probably came from like the woman I babysat for and my history teacher, right? And like next door to me, uh, there was a woman who said, "Oh yeah, Sandra Day O'Connor wrote my letter of recommendation," and you realize we're living in completely different worlds. And so, right. even though I I did very well in school and. Um, I was involved in a lot of activities. I knew that uh, to have those types of opportunities um, don't come easily. And I think um, Stanford's form of affirmative action allowed people like me to go there and to prosper. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your college experience. Was it any type, Mm -hmm. even though your mom was very supportive in getting her kids to college, did you go through culture shock? Um, you know, it's interesting. I felt like the culture shock, to be honest. Oh, gosh, I don't want to offend anyone now. But when I got there and I went to a Mecha meeting the first time, and my mm-hmm. feeling was that there were a lot of Latinas and Latinos from throughout this, the country who had just discovered that they were Latino. Yes. It was as if all of a sudden they get to college and they have like, wow, I'm from Michigan or Texas or wherever. 
that was weird, right? Because when it's so easily blended into not only your family life, but your home life, and really in Southern California, um, all life. Uh, and even though there were plenty of racists, especially in Northern uh, San Diego County, mm-hmm. I thought um, it was that part was kind of interesting. Um, I actually spent most of my time at Stanford with um, African-American roommates because they seemed much more comfortable with who they are getting there. Yeah. Um, and so it, w- it was kind of funny in that sense. Like um, it, it seemed a little rough. My best friend, though, from college um, also came from um, San Diego. She actually grew up in my district and um, she's my best friend today so I mean there were uh and she was also Latina and um we were both cheerleaders at Stanford so I, I had the the one person who kind of had the most similar life to me to, um, to connect so, with yes so that was kind of cool yeah. yeah um I like the point that you made too um about these Latinos and just kind of discovering who they are culturally Mm -hmm. um, because I've experienced that a lot too and especially being raised in a border town Mm -hmm. um, like South San Diego Um, so it's just an interesting point that you had brought that up you know Um, what did you do um, after college so uh, when I went to Stanford and I always tell the story because I I don't want people it worked out but I, I think this is a huge gap of college students I never wanted to bother anyone um, with questions, professors. You know, I never went to office hours. It's amazing for me to see young people now and realizing I never had a sense. I had the opposite of a sense of entitlement, right? I felt Mm -hmm. like I did not deserve people's time. And so I was a little lost coming out of um, college on which, so I just applied to graduate school. literally just applied um my then boyfriend was was moving to the east coast to baltimore and so i applied to georgetown graduate school because i knew i wanted to do something political go into politics and so i applied to a phd program um at georgetown in american government and thank god um well i got in and uh the first week or two i was there i had a professor in there in those smaller classes and stuff they're much mm-hmm. more approachable and i felt much more at ease i guess and he asked me he said well where do you want to teach and i said teach i don't want to teach he said you are at a phd program at georgetown university in in american government what do you Actually, think you're here what, for <laughs> right you know and i was like can i teach at a community college and he said um he said, you could, but you wouldn't need to be here doing you this, do that, you know, right? he, he's like, it's, it, it's great. But like, did nobody tell you that's what the kind of expectation of why you, why you right. go into this program? And I said, no, I don't think, you know, I really thought about it. Um, I thought, well, I want to go into government. So of course I'll get, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> the next degree. Um, and so he said, well, uh, you really probably belong in law school. He said, why don't we restructure this? So he helped me restructure my program to a master's degree so that it wasn't useless that I had been there already, I think through the first semester. Um, so I did a two-year master's program um, and got a master's degree from Georgetown and then applied to law school and uh, UCLA. Uh, I got a great offer from UCLA, um, They a full ride to law school plus living expenses. So, mm-hmm. um, so I... I packed up and came back to California. Um, I got pregnant um, in in uh, graduate school, um, which made my mom really happy. Really? No. <laughs> uh, so I, I got to come home and tell my mom I, I wasn't 
quite ready to get married, but uh, I was going to finish school and go to law school, and I was pregnant. And um, after her getting through the idea that somehow um, she failed, because that's what was expected of me, right. and um, and I did exactly as expected, and I had to convince her that, yes, but I have all these degrees, and I'm doing all this stuff. I'll be fine. Right. Um, and I was. And and so uh, for, for quite a few years, um, I stayed with Tiara's dad, and, and we got engaged, and... and um, Things were fine for a while, and but then uh, by the time I finished law school, I was done and uh, was a single mom by the time I started working. So, but you did it, and you graduated, and you still went on with your plans. I mean, that's something, absolutely yeah. That's something that a lot of women wind up being older and said, "I wish I would have continued my education because I wound up getting pregnant," and that mm-hmm. happens a lot. So it's not common that you can speak to a Latino woman <laughs> who said. No, I got pregnant during this transition and going through my education process, and I still went through it and still finished it. What what do you think helped you continue that? Um, I think my daughter did and and my mom. I took one semester off, and I think the pure, you know, my mom loved kids, and she was so excited to have a grandkid, but the, the, the pressure of knowing how disappointed she would be in me if I stopped. I mean... My mom was brilliant, you know. She she um, she went to Escondido High School and and graduated straight A's. But her only opportunity was to go to East LA Community College for two years and become a registered nurse. Now that's a great job, and right. and she thought she did great for herself. But there's always a sense um, of how smart she was and how motivated she was. And if only, right? If only right. she lived in a different era, mm-hmm. um, in in a different time period. If if mm-hmm. only she had the opportunity. If she had if she had a mother who who valued education the way she did. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my grandmother valued a lot of things, but you know, she didn't have beyond a eighth grade education. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think my mom's uh, individualized pressure, not pressure, but expectation of me Mm -hmm. made me feel like I I shouldn't and couldn't, didn't have an excuse to give up. She even, to be honest, when I graduated from law school, I said, I don't know that I'll practice law. I, you know, taking the bar is a big commitment. I'm not sure I want to do this. If I just go into politics, I don't need to take the bar. And, And it was my mom who said, nope. No, you've come this far. You're going to take the bar. You're going to be a real attorney, you know. And so um, everything my mom told me to do, I did. Uh, And so um, people should listen to their moms. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like your mom was an amazing cheerleader for you, just rooting you on. She was. She was the best. So, Um, And so I did one thing that I had found out um, recently by following you on social media and being on Facebook um, was that you had history in being involved in pageants. Mm -hmm. Um, When did that happen through your So um, it's kind of funny. I, I think everything started about my junior year in high school. I was like dead set obviously I wanted to go to college and so I just thought well my mom's never going to be able to pay for this and I didn't really understand um like financial aid so I didn't realize I was going to get grants and and you know that the school was going to pay so I started applying for every scholarship I saw like anything I saw I got a lot of random scholarships too but like anything and so uh I saw this thing in the bulletin at school and it was like um it was San Diego's Junior Miss, and uh, I was like, oh, it, it's a program that's now called Young Woman of the Year, I think, or Woman of the Year, Young Woman of the Year. Um, 
outstanding young woman. I don't know. They've changed the name, so it doesn't sound like a pageant. <laughs> but uh, I bring it home to my mom, and I said, I'm going to do this because the, the qualifications were like um, a one-minute or two-minute talent. And I was a, I had danced my whole life, and it was like academic achievement and interview and getting on stage and making a speech. And I was like, oh, this is easy. I'm totally yeah, doing this, this, right? <laughs> yeah. And my mom, oh, my gosh. She, like, refused to take me to the orientation. My now stepfather um, was the one I had to convince to take me because I didn't drive at the time. And I was like, my mom's like, you're not doing that. It's a beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, look at the, I know it sounds like it's a scholarship thing. She's like, and they're never going to pick a Mexican girl from Vista. I mean, my mom just thought there's no way. And she didn't want me to invest into something that like, you know, she thought I'd get really hurt or or not feel good about myself because she goes, they don't say beauty on there, but it really is. And there's what they think of beauty and what we think of beauty are two different things. And so I did it anyway. Um, and she came and um, and I won and I won like $2,000 or something and got to go to California's Junior Miss. And uh, my mom was just blown away and I just laughed because she went from that and I always say she was like she was almost the burn your bra type to like being Mm -hmm. the biggest pageant mom ever so um I competed in California's junior miss where I was a runner-up and got more money and then um and then I go to college and pageants change when you're an adult and suddenly somebody says well if you will get on stage in a swimsuit you know you could win all this money through the Miss America program um and coming from San Diego or, you know, Southern California, I spent my whole life in a swimsuit. I was like, okay, that's not, who cares? Right. And um, I ended up paying for, uh, I ended up basically graduating from all three of the degrees, the, the money I amassed in, in local and in, um, state pageants helped me basically be debt free by the time I graduated. So wow. um, it was something that, that uh, worked for me. It mm-hmm. doesn't work for everybody. It was, you know, something that helped me, I think, grow in, in my poise and my personal ability to, to talk to anybody, to uh, be comfortable with myself. Um, but, you know, it, I, I get that that's not everybody's thing. So now in your career now, have you ever gotten backlash for being involved in those pageants? Not really. Sometimes uh, once in a while. I, I hit it for a long time. Okay. And I always thank God that the things I did in, in high school and college were pre-internet. Yes. So it's really hard to find. I think when I did a <laughs> cheerleading bill, people found like a picture of me cheering at Stanford, you know. But but it's really beneficial because for years, for years involved in politics, I would have never spoken about either being a cheerleader in high school and in college or, or being in pageants. Um, but, you know, once you get to a certain point, I my thought process now is different. I thought I had to act a certain way. And I thought this for a very specific reason. When you're starting out, it's really tough. And um, I worked for the lieutenant governor and he gave me a lot of opportunity, but I couldn't be the like crazy lipstick feminist Latina Mm -hmm. that I am, right? I couldn't Mm -hmm. be because nobody would have taken me seriously. I had to be the graduate of Stanford, Georgetown, UCLA Law School, you know, sometimes my mouth would get me in trouble, but very studious and and I did hard work and I was going to come up with the right answer every time. But as I progressed and um, got elected into office and got into positions of power, I really realized how damaging that is because in particular as Latinas, we don't necessarily fit the mold, especially those of us who who want to go further, and that's okay. 
So by the time I got to the assembly, I think I was like, hey, this is who I am. And it, it comes off in a lot of ways. I always tell people story, and this is absolutely true when I first got there. People would tell me, like, these are the rules of the assembly. You're in the state capitol, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is decades old, over 100 years old, and um, these are the rules. And I said, are they, like, written down rules? Like, where where can I find this right. rule book, you know? <laughs> and, um, and they're like, no, but these are the customs and practices. And I've challenged people because things become customs and practices because 100 years ago it was a bunch of old white men. And that's a custom and practice. And so when people would say, you're just so much, you're so loud. And I said, I'm sorry, that's just me. I don't really have an indoor voice. Um, and, and I realized like, yeah, but it's important to be me because there are hundreds of thousands probably of young Latina girls who don't realize like we have to break the barrier of the expectation of what a um, woman politician has mm-hmm. to be like, you know? And I think that that's important. So if you want more people who look and have backgrounds like I did in, in politics, which I think is a good thing to have that kind of diversity, then you have they have to be able to see somebody who they can relate to. And, um, and I think that's really huge because I, I went through a lot during the presidential campaign with um, Hillary Clinton. It took me a long time to warm up to her and I think partially because I saw her for so long as somebody who, it's great she was a woman, but she right. wasn't a woman like me. Right. You know, like she wore pantsuits. Like, right. I don't wear pants unless he <laughs> forced me. You know, I wore a dress. You know, she wasn't in five inch heels and, you know, the head, like the whole thing, I was like, yeah, but she's a woman who, and now I understand more. I think she, for her time period and everything else, had to acquiesce to what was acceptable yes. for, for women of that generation. But I'm like, but that, that, that creates a barrier between being able to relate to that. And so I just want, um, not every young girl will be able to relate to me, but I want more people to be able to relate to people in positions of power. And I really appreciate you saying that too, because that's something that I've been told as a Latina woman and trying to put myself Mm -hmm. out there. um, I've been told two different things. One, tone it down. (laughs) You need to tone down your voice. You need to tone down those opinions and keep things to yourself so people will want to listen to you more and be more, you know, um, take in what you have to say. And then I had my mentor, which is Venus. Um, She's the one that really sat down and said, just keep being who you are. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what was done or said before, it still makes you who you are right now. So that's why I asked about that backlash and if people looked at you different. Um, So I love that encouragement to the young Latinas who are out there who are ashamed of things that they may have put themselves through and, and positions, but that shouldn't stop you from going after those things. Just keep being your authentic self and putting Mm -hmm. yourself out there. Um, I did want to ask, in between um, going to school and stuff, what kind of jobs were you doing in between? I had such a litany of jobs. Um, So, and I always had more than one, it felt like. So at Stanford, I, I, my student job on campus, um, student work, uh-huh. yeah. uh, I found the best job ever. So, uh, and, and of course at the time, I, and I remember this was a lot of time, they're paying $10 an hour for, for on-campus jobs. Um, I taught speech to engineering students. So, um, you know, you go through all these things and you're like, that's a job. Um, I didn't realize engineering students, a lot of them are frightened to get up and speak. And that was something that I had been doing for years. And so um, after the, you you had, not audition, but you had to, you know, apply and you had to show them you could speak, you had to show them you could teach to speak. But so I had that job through most of Stanford, um, which was a lot of fun. And uh, it was challenging. I didn't realize 
you know, there, there are a ton of foreign engineering students. And so who are very nervous to get up and speak in front of people. So it was a TA position. It was fun. That that was my main job throughout the time I was there. Which I would have never guessed that would be a job either, job right. opportunity. Well, in they that, give you so. like all these options of things you could do. And it was like checking cards at the, you know, when people come in to get their meals or right. you know, there were a bunch of things. And I was like, oh God, this is good. Or I, I thought I would go work at the library so I could get work done at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I saw this and I thought, oh, this is totally like, up my alley. I can right? do this. I can do this. <laughs> Um, and I did. It was fun. And then I had a second job, um, uh, actually, throughout the time, two or three different jobs uh, as a cheer coach and a dance coach at a variety of high schools surrounding there. So it was kind of cool in that sense because Stanford is in a very wealthy area. Um, and every high school wanted a a cheerleading coach. And so most of the cheerleaders on our squad got to coach a and get paid a, a decent stipend to do so. Wow. So um, those were the things I did in college. In uh, graduate school, I actually, uh, it's kind of funny now, but I was a receptionist and I did the scheduling for a construction firm. Um, seems kind of weird. Uh, well, it seems weird given my background. It, it was, Virginia is a, a right to work state, so it was a non-union construction firm, but okay. I, I learned a lot, general contractors, so I learned a lot about construction. Um, I did that, uh, they paid pretty well, and um, I also worked as a barista. Um, in fact, the way I got the job is I was working as a barista in the building, and they were like, you're way too qualified for that. Right. Work. And uh, <laughs> I ended up doing both. <laughs> and then uh, it, well, it wasn't a typical barista. It was like a little store with coffee. It wasn't like fancy. I still can't make fancy coffees. Um, <laughs> I mean, if a barista is getting you your coffee and some cream. Like the old school barista, right? like, you know, I'll make the coffee. Um, and then uh, by the time I was in law school, because I'd gotten such a good scholarship um, from UCLA, I didn't work. Um, I didn't have to work, uh, which was essential because I don't think if I had to work during law school, I could have done it with, with that. Um, a newborn. Yeah, right. it would have been a lot. So um, and then right after college, I went and um, started working for the lieutenant governor. Okay. How did that come about? Well, kind of like everything that I've done in life, a little accidental. Um, I want, I, he had been, so it was Lieutenant Governor Cruz Bustamante. He had been elected um, when I was in law school and he was the first Latino to be elected statewide in California in 120 years. So basically once California became a state separate than Mexico. And, uh, and so I, I was reading about him, and at the time, the governor was Gray Davis, and I said, oh, I want to go work for for Cruz Bustamante. I said, I think he'll be the next governor. But of course, I still, you know, I I mean, even with all the education that I had, I'm still just, as I always say, like a a girl from Oceanside, a girl from Vista, with no contacts in in the political field. I didn't even know how you'd go about working for the lieutenant governor. So I saw a fellowship application um, at the student center, and it was an executive fellowships uh, application that puts um, people uh, in different positions in government. And so they said, if you apply for this fellowship, you might be in the governor's office or the lieutenant governor's office or state treasurer. It was all the executive branch secretary of state. And I was like, oh, all right. And so I applied for it. Um, I got accepted. And it's just like accepted into the program. So I go up to Sacramento, literally making $18,800 a year. 
thank God I didn't have a ton of debt because I could have never made it, right? <laughs> and, um, and I basically went, so you get to go interview with all these places during the fellowship. So I went to the lieutenant governor's office and I said, look, I only did this to try to get in this office. So if you guys don't want me, if you don't pick me, I'm like dropping out. Like I'm, I got to go yeah. do something else because I didn't come up here to work mm-hmm. for the treasurer, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I would have really dropped out, but they were like, uh, excuse me, you have this educational background. We are definitely choosing you. You sure you want to work for the lieutenant governor? And I said, that's all I want. So um, so I got placed there and they, they actually hired me out of that program really quickly and um, started paying me a lot more. They were, I think, a little shell-shocked that that's all I wanted was to work for the lieutenant governor. So I worked for Cruz Bustamante throughout most of his tenure. Um, six years I sat on the State Coastal Commission, the Coastal Conservancy, I mean, the State Lands Commission. Mm-hmm. I did his environmental work. I did some of his UC and CSU work and um, a lot of policy work and uh, became a senior advisor and then um, came to, back to San Diego. And what did you do? do? Did you have something in mind when you were coming back to San Diego? Did you already have a vision of where you wanted to be? I really didn't. I knew I wanted to continue in politics um, my daughter was starting kindergarten and my parents were here. So um, my mom and my stepfather and my father and my stepmother were all in San Diego County. So um, I knew I didn't want to go back to North County. So we moved into San Diego um, and she started kindergarten and um, I was still working for the lieutenant governor. I was commuting to L.A. by train, which was a lot. Yeah. Um, but uh I, I just knew that I wanted to do something political. And um, a few years later, uh, when the lieutenant governor was running for insurance commissioner, I uh, applied for basically and got uh, a position at the San Diego Labor Council, the AFL-CIO, as a political director. And um, that was what I wanted to do at that time. So how did that journey, starting from that journey, how did that lead you into the seat that you are today? So um, I was really lucky to be, I think, in politics and a policy area Mm -hmm. during an important transitional time in San Diego. And so I was political director um, for a year, I think, a year and a half when the the head of the Labor Council, it's an elected position by all the unions, um, decided he wanted to retire. And um, I became head of of labor in San Diego. that was a trying time. A lot of uh, the Republicans in town were attacking labor. The Democrats were trying to kind of keep their distance, but we were still the backbone of what we had in democratic politics. And so I got to spend a lot of time trying to really empower workers to take hold of their lives at the same time mm-hmm. to take hold of politics in California in, in San Diego. And um, it was, to me, um, I will always say probably the best job I've ever had. Um, I didn't really want to leave that. I, I woke up every day, um, God, I had long days, but just excited by the challenge, excited um, to, to see the change in people's lives when, when they join a union, to see the change in people's lives when they go out and elect a candidate who cares about working people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was by far organizing and changing. Um, San Diego was... It, it was um, completely satisfying in a way that nothing else can be satisfying. But after the 2012 elections, and um, we had in labor basically won every seat we had played in, which was San Diego had definitely changed in 2012. Um, my 
state senator became my congressman and my mm-hmm. assembly member became my state senator and they both came to me independently and asked me to run for the state assembly. And at first I um, I said no, of course, because I loved my job. Mm-hmm. But they both made compelling cases about um, South San Diego needing a female Latina representation. And the fact that so many of the issues that um, I personally lived as the daughter of a single mother, as a single mom, um, uh, you know, as an advocate for workers uh, would be appropriate and necessary um, in that area. Um, and so I thought, well, it's something I always want to do. I never imagined with as progressive and fiery and out there I was that I could ever be an elected official at the state level. Like I thought there's no way, but uh, we, we looked at it and we said, okay, I ran as a union organizer. People mm-hmm. knew I came from organized labor and um, won overwhelmingly. So it, it, made, it, it really was exciting to be able to go represent um, an area that of course I've been doing work in for years and um, to represent people who are like me, like my mom, like my grandma, um, like my dad, and uh, and really just uh, want to empower themselves to do better with their own lives. And so um, that's been great. I see other people in the Capitol representing areas and I'm like, well, that must be tough. Right? <laughs> Every day I get to I, I get to go and, and know that, you know, we're trying to better people's lives and, and my constituents that are for the most part in the same place I am. Well, you know, Lena, you're very strong um, in your presence. And tell me, how do you, I've heard um, a woman once say, um, speaking that there's no point of trying to balance everything in your life. It's more about trying to integrate everything mm-hmm. instead of balancing because you'll mm-hmm. go nuts trying to balance it. So how have you been able to handle personal and being in a position where there is a lot of people looking at you? How do you think you take that all in? Um, you know, I think a lot of it is just having a thick skin. Um, so I always, when people tell me, like, is it hard when you talk about the balance of balancing the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with two older brothers. Anyone who has two older brothers in their same age range knows um, I've been called every name, every, you know, I have been locked out of the house and held under the water. And, you know, they, mm-hmm. they really taught me to, um, I think, be tough. Um, I know that sounds terrible and you, you don't want to, like, past judgment these days, but it actually made me, um, in some ways, know how to play with the boys uh-huh. without being a boy. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I think that they helped a lot. I also grew up in North San Diego County, which is vastly changing and quickly changing now. But at a time when being um, the the kids of a single mom and Latino in a school that was really really um, had a huge divide between kind of um, white, wealthier, and somewhat rural types, and then, um, you know, immigrants and children of immigrants. Um, And I, in some of my classes, was the only Latina, the only Latino um, when, when I was in high school. And people weren't nice. You know, people said things that Perhaps they didn't realize, some people were nice, obviously, right. but there, there were a lot of debates that went on in school and the idea of illegal immigration and people not belonging here. And, and what I always considered really, really strongly um, 
much more than I think we even see today. We might be seeing it today, but not in North San Diego County, but a, a very racist, um, you know, uh, daily kind of occurrence that I think it teaches you, you know, my mom would say, my mom would always tell me like, don't ever cry, you know, don't ever cry, suck it up. Um, you, The best thing to do is prove them wrong. And, um, and so I think a lot of that when at such a young age, and I don't think people realize the messages they send to, to young people sometimes, but when you face that, thank God I had my mom every day telling me like, you know, it doesn't matter what they think. That's not the truth. Um, and then to to surpass that and go away and, and um, to realize uh, that people often are, are cruel um, because they're insecure, you know, um, I think that all helped a lot as well. Um, but, you know, now I, I think for me anyway, things have changed and my job is is to advocate for people who face those same challenges. I, I don't have to as much. Right. I'm a light-skinned Latina who's been successful and educated, and and now I have a certain level of, of privilege, and mm-hmm. I'm very aware of that, mm-hmm. um, a privilege that uh, that I get by by having lighter skin, by um, having uh, access to more education, more money, more opportunity, and so it's a responsibility, I think, to ensure that changes for everybody else. So in helping in being with the community and encouraging um, our future Latinas to get involved um, in the stuff that goes on into our community. Um, I feel like me, myself growing up, politics was something that I was didn't care about as I was younger and mm-hmm. in school. Um, it wasn't so in our face. We didn't have social media and all these, you know, different outlets. Um, but then as the climate change started happening, um, I started paying attention, right? you know, and then that's when I started wanting to get more involved in my community. Um, what would you say to the young Latina girls that are out there that do want to make a difference, but they're scared to make those moves and right. scared to be in these positions? Well, I think that we, all, we have to recognize, number one, in California, and a lot of people don't quite get this. I think as Latinas, we get it because for so long we faced all of these um cultural pulls and societal pulls and pulling us in all these different directions and expectations and how the world sees us. Um, it's very different, I think, um, than really any other group of, of demographic um, group. And so uh, it's come with challenges. We, we haven't been out there in politics as long um, as, as other groups. We haven't been as involved historically. Um, and yet we've been the backbones of our families and as the men have been involved, we've supported them. And, you know, uh, I, I was, I, there, there's one statistic that it's always at the top of my mind. Um, we're the only demographic group that has never, um, had a statewide position in California. So Latinas make up about 20% of the population in California. We've never had a Senator, a governor, a Lieutenant governor, Mm. A superintendent of instruction, an insurance commissioner, you know, I mean, you could go down the line, We, a secretary of state. So we've had in this election cycle, I think about this a lot right now, I am so excited. I get to vote for um, a Latino for lieutenant governor and a Latino for secretary of state and a Latino for insurance commissioner and superintendent of public instruction. And um, I'm sure I'm missing one, uh, you know, oh, for U.S. Senate, Kevin DeLeon. I get a vote up and down for Latinos, and by the way, for an Asian woman for for state controller and an Asian woman for state treasurer. But you know what I haven't been able to vote for is Latina. And I think um, 
that's a powerful symbol that we uh, we own. You know, um, we have an African American senator. We've had um, a lot of Asian women in, in office. Uh, we've had white women, of course, in office um, on the statewide level. And it's like, why? You know, we have a responsibility now to not just support our men and to be the backbones of our family and to have the privately as we as we know in our culture, we are we we control things in many ways you know we control the home we control um a lot of of the thoughts coming out um but it's time for us to take that public role and that means in every field whether it's politics or business or nonprofits or or just um uh, teaching it, it's time for us to 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 move forward and say it's great that we've supported um a, a lot of other people for generations and generations but um, without our voices being heard, uh, it, it's just going to continue to be that way, and we'll always continue to be in the background. What do you think is the fear that is keeping women, Latina women, from going out there and really putting themselves out there and getting into these positions? And I know being you know involved with Mana and stuff, mm-hmm. and just getting these people into boards and commissions is mm-hmm. really a difficult task. Um, and what do you think? is that thing that's holding them back? Um, I think historically that a lot of, uh, we've internalized how the world has seen us, right? So I always say, like, people will say, wow, a lot of it, you know, they know this now. Historically, if you go to a Latino community, it is easier to, to elect a Latina than it is a Latino. And people will ask me about that. Now, we don't do that a lot because a lot of Latinas don't run. But if they run, most of the time, they will beat their male counterpart. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, well, why is that? Well, we know in our community because um, you listen to the women, right? But everybody else looks at our community, and, and it's true, this outwardly machismo, the men are in charge, but we have this like hidden secret, right? We always knew our abuelita knew best, right. and everybody knew, and nobody was yep. going to challenge her, right? <laughs> nobody questioned Nobody, it. <laughs> no male in the family is ever going to question that. So, so we have like this kind of secret code that we've been living with for so long, and yet I think society as a whole thinks of Latinas as one of two things, either meek or totally out there crazy. Like, So we've got to take our totally out there crazy and apply it and just yeah. own it. And I think that that's what it, it comes across is like, you know, first of all, there's far more than meek and totally crazy out there. But for those of us who do have that ambition, mm-hmm. who do have um, goals and, and want to be out there, you just have, we have to own who we are and we have to say, um, we know who we are in our own little communities and families, and that's who we have to be in the broader community and, and just um, force ourselves. Right. Force ourselves Open on that up yeah. and just take those steps, right? And exactly. Just show everybody. <laughs> uh, and it's okay. And I think, um, you know, we need each other to remind each other of that. I think it's really important. Um, and, and we need to say this is not only okay, that this is, we should encourage um, our women to do this and, and to take our rightful, I think, role in this state. And and now that we're coming to the closing of this episode, um, is there anything that you would like to let our listeners know either about you or about anything that you're doing? Um, I mean, I'm always happy with all the things that I'm doing. We're trying to uh, engage workers and and give women in the workplace more rights and more opportunities. Um, we're trying to ensure that all work is is value and and valued um, appropriately. That people have uh, an opportunity to move forward. 
But there is something that I think it's really important for us to understand. And I think Latinas in particular can understand this notion. When we demand things for our community um, so often, it is um, people are more likely to be forthcoming with charity. People want to give us things, right? They feel sorry for us or yes. they, they think we need um, their help. But what we really need is to empower our communities and to, to ensure that they can use their voice to help themselves. And that's a much harder thing to demand because where you're taking power, you're taking it from somebody. At least that's how it's seen. There, it's not a it's not a net zero, right? If, if we empower um, people in the workplace and you're taking power from the, the employer, you know, if we empower um, Latinas, are we taking power from the Latinos? Are we taking power from other folks? And so it's threatening to people. But I think it's really important as we move forward um, as an emerging, and I think the, the emerging um, leadership group in California to understand the difference between when somebody is willing to give you charity, which is great, and mm -hmm. we should accept charity, everybody should accept charity, and everybody should be charitable. Mm -hmm. That's great. But in the long term, that doesn't move our community, and it doesn't move where we are. And um, and what we need to do is much harder to do, and what we right. need to demand is much harder. And so um, we can't be nervous when people say we're asking for too much. We can't be nervous when people say we're demanding too much. Right. Um, we just need to make sure that along with the charity, um, as I say, I do charity on Sundays um, at church, and uh, but Monday through Saturday, we got to learn to empower folks. Absolutely. Um, you have said a lot of things um, in this interview that has resonated with me. Um, I cannot wait to go back and listen to everything and take my personal notes um, on this because you really said things that really hit me and my position and where I'm at um, and where I want to take this and everything that I'm doing um, with the community. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming to the show and just letting me sit here with you and take all this energy from you because uh. it is empowering and it is special. So I appreciate that. So thank you so much for being on the show. Great. And um, that's a wrap. Thank so you fist for up, in. chingonas. Thank you.